I found an interesting word in the New Testament, and I'm going to get right into our study this morning because we've got a we've got a little bit of ground to cover. A word that Jesus says seven times throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, and that word is accept. And Jesus uses this word a little bit differently than than you and I would would probably use or or typically would use this word. And each time that Jesus uses this word throughout the Gospels, he uses it, not every time, he uses it a couple other times. He refers to it and uses it as a caveat, as something that you must do in order to go to heaven. Seven times throughout the Gospel, Jesus says, except, and then something that you have to do in order to go to heaven. I found that pretty interesting. I thought that, I thought that would make a pretty interesting sermon. He, he does use it a couple other times, not referring to something you must do to go to heaven. Uh, and in fact, I want to read that example to us as well as we get started, where Jesus uses this word. He uses it in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 27. And for just a minute, it sounds weird, but I want you to disregard what this scripture is trying to tell us just so we can understand the way that Jesus uses this word and the context in which Jesus uses the word accept. Uh, it will be the basis for our study this morning. It's, he says there, Jesus speaking, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his good, his house. So Jesus used this word a little bit differently than you and I would. I, I probably wouldn't use the word except there. In fact, the word that I would use, I suppose, would be the word unless. So Jesus would say, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods unless he will first bond the strong man and then he will spoil his goods. Jesus says, this is the only way. This is the only way you can do this. You want to enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? The only way you can do that is first you've got to bind him. You've got to conk him on the head with something. If you're ever going to get anything accomplished there. I got to thinking about that. Matt's a pretty strong man, I would say. He's close to as strong as I am, you might think. Zane Zebok can beat Matt Huff in an arm wrestle. He can only beat him, in a, or he cannot beat, excuse me, let me get this straight. Zane Zebok can only beat Matthew Huff in an arm wrestle, except he does something. You see what I'm saying here? The only way I'm going to beat Matt in arm wrestle is if I'm stomping on his toe underneath the table. Or if I'm hurling insults at his face. And even then, I, I don't know if it's going to work. There's something that's got to be done in order for me to beat him in arm wrestle. And there's something that's got to be done here in order for you to spoil this strong man's home. You understand now the context that Jesus uses when he talks about this. Now there's seven examples I'd like to look at. Seven times throughout the Gospels where Jesus speaking uses this word. And in all these other examples... It's something that you must do in order to enter into the kingdom of God, in order to have life, and in order to meet the Father. The first one there is in John chapter 6, and he says it a couple times throughout that chapter. I'm counting that as one. Jesus speaking says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And Jesus said, Therefore I said, Said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. You want to come to Jesus? You have to be drawn by God. 
Except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Except it were given unto him unto my Father. Jesus says the only way, the only way is to be drawn by God. Now as we go through each of these examples, I want to ask a question and sometimes a couple questions or at least explain what Jesus is talking about here. Ask a couple questions, maybe how? How can we be drawn by God? Maybe that's confusing. Why? Why would we be drawn by God? And so for each of these examples, we'll ask a couple of those questions and we'll try to understand what Jesus says. This one is, is one of the more, you might say, confusing, I suppose. However, if we dig in and we read a couple of supporting scriptures, it'll, it'll make a lot of sense. Somebody could read this scripture and they could use that to say, well, uh, if you want to see Jesus, you have to be drawn by God. It has to be given to you by God. Uh, that's, that's, you know, all evidence for predestination. That's evidence that God has everything set up and that if you're going to heaven, He's already chosen you. And there's nothing, and that's not the case. And I think we can prove that uh, in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, if you want to uh, be saved... You will enter in. He doesn't say God pushes you through the door and shoves you the door. He says the man will enter in if you want to be saved. And then a few verses later, Jesus speaking of himself as the good shepherd, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus says if you want to be drawn by God, you will hear my voice, and you will come to me that way. You'll obey me. Later on the same chapter, Jesus speaking, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You want to be drawn by God? Follow Him. Follow God. You want to be drawn by God? Read your Bible. Know the voice of the shepherd. Recognize the voice of the shepherd if you want to be drawn by God. And then back to uh, the 44th verse there, John chapter 6, where he says, No man can come to me unless or except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard, every man, therefore, that hath heard, and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. You want to come to Jesus? You want to be one with Jesus? You want to have Jesus' blood? You will hear His words. You will learn of His words. You will read your Bible. You will follow after God if you want to be drawn. The next example. Jesus speaking in the fifth chapter of Matthew. For I say unto you that except or unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You want to go to heaven? Your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus says the only way the only way that you shall enter into the kingdom of heaven is if your righteousness will exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And that begs a couple questions for me. Why? Why do we need to exceed the, the scribes and the Pharisees? And two, how? How can we do that? If we look in Matthew, uh, the 23rd chapter, we read a little bit about the scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, says there later on, ye have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other 
undone. Why would we need to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees without digging in and reading a bunch of scriptures about them? Well, one, they were hypocrites. They omitted the weightier matters of the law. They did away with mercy, with faith, with judgment. It's not something they were concerned with. And so if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, if you want a chance at going to heaven, you have to. Jesus says the only way you can do that is if your righteousness will exceed that of these Pharisees and scribes. In the same chapter early on, Jesus says to the multitude, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in at Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. How can you exceed the righteousness in the Pharisees, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees' righteousness? Just do what you're going to say. Do what you're going to say. Do not omit the weightier matters of the law. Put a lot of emphasis on your faith, on mercy, on judgment. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, we reread that sometimes. We go, okay, there's a, there's a clear standard for us. We have to exceed this line. That's kind of, kind of stressful a little bit to think about it like that. It's not a, you can, you know, it's not an on or off. It's you need to exceed this line. But it's pretty simple what we have to do in order to meet that mark. Later on in the same chapter, or in the same book, rather. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Except or unless ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the only way that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven is if you're converted and become as little children. How can we do that and why? I went to Romans 12 and 2. It seemed like the perfect example for this one. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, converted, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why? Why would we need to be converted? Why would we need, we need to become as, as children in God's eyes to prove the will of God? To fulfill the will of God. That's what he's asking us to do in Matthew chapter 18. And we do that by transforming or renewing our minds. To convert our minds. When I think of the word convert, I think of a, a power converter that goes in a car. That, um, that's the only thing I think of when I think of a converter. Those blow my mind. Uh, ever since I was a kid and I learned what that was, it was the most insane thing to me. You plug this into the car and then you can plug anything into it. It's just it's incredible to me. <laughs> and the same thing we need to do with our minds. It, it changes. To be converted, to be changed into something different, into something useful, into something that can be used for good. If we read the next verse after Jesus says the word accept, he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's your how. How can we be converted? How can we become as little children? We need to humble ourselves. As I begin to think about a child, I think of somebody who's dependent. Somebody who needs the parent. I think that's part of what Jesus was asking us to do here. To humble yourself and to be dependent. Don't try to do everything on your own. You can't do everything on your own. Be dependent on the Father. Look to the Father. That reminded me of Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him 
and he shall direct thy paths. When I think about the relationship between parent and child, I see Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5 and and 6. A parent that will direct the paths of the child. A parent who doesn't want their child to lean on their own understanding. Children do silly things. We try to teach them. And I think that's what what Jesus is asking of us in this same, same example here in Matthew chapter 18. Look to the Father. Don't lean on your own understanding. If you're going to humble yourself, realize that there's somebody that you are in subjection to. The only way that you can go to heaven is if you humble yourself as a child and are willing to submit to God. It's the only way. Thirdly, or fourthly, John chapter 6, verse number 53. Jesus says unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Jesus says the only way that you can go to heaven, the only way that you can have life in you, the only way that you can have connection with the Father is if ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. It's the only way. You can't do it unless this happens. We're going to read a couple verses on this that most people are going to be familiar with, but just in case uh, this is something you have some confusion about, I want to read and make sure we cover it really well. How and why? How do we eat the flesh of the Son of God? How do we drink His blood? And why? Why would we do that? 1 Corinthians 11 says, And when He had given, uh, speaking of Jesus, thanks, He break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. You want to know why? To remember Jesus. That's why we partake of him. We talk about it every Sunday. And if you want to go to heaven, the only way you can do that is to remember Jesus. The only way you can do that is to remember Jesus. Later on in a couple of verses down, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He says in verse 31 there, skip in verse 30, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. How do we do that? How do we partake of the Lord's body and of His blood? We read it in verse 24, 5, and 6. Where we partake of the fruit of the vine, of unleavened bread. We examine ourselves. And that's how we partake. And that's how... We fulfill this commandment from God. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Jesus says the only way, the only way you can have life, the only way you can abide in me and have life is to abide in me rather. Now how and why can we abide in Jesus? He explains it there uh, in the surrounding verses and also later on in the chapter. Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for, with, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Why would we want to abide in Jesus? It seems kind of like a silly question when you're in a church and you're asking that question, don't it? (laughs) I think it's important that we know. 
I think it's important that we know the consequences. I think it's important that we know that we can, we can remember Jesus. We can examine ourselves. We can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We can be converted and humbled as children. We can be drawn by God. But if we don't abide in Jesus, we have no life in us. We can do everything else, but if we don't do this, there is no life to be found in us. We would do that because Jesus basically says you're no more than firewood if you don't abide in me as a Christian. You're useless. You're cast forth and and burned. He says the reason you do that is because without me you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit without him. In order to fulfill the will of God, we must abide in Jesus. In order to bear fruit, in order to preach the gospel. And then finally in verse verse 10 of the same chapter, how if if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Simply put, you want to abide in Jesus, obey Him. You want to abide in Jesus, you want to bear fruit, you don't want to be cast forth and burned, you want to have life in you, obey Jesus. Obey the commandments of the Father. Now we're getting to the good stuff. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, Then Peter said unto them, be, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. As we come towards the part of our service or our sermon where we start to kind of wrap things up, and on our last couple points, we've, we've looked at five. We're going to look at the last two now. We see the common theme throughout the Gospels, the common theme throughout the New Testament, repent and be baptized. And as I just said about abiding in Jesus, the same goes for this. If you want to have life in you, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you can be drawn of God, hear His words, you can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can be converted as little children, you can remember Jesus, you can try to bear all the fruit you want, but if you don't repent and be baptized, the rest of it is useless. And Jesus says this word and gives the same type of uh, uh, scriptures, he says the same kind of things about repentance and baptism. Simply put, in Luke chapter 13, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The only way. The only way to keep from perishing. The only way to have life. The only way to enter into the kingdom of God is through repentance. There is no other way. There's no other way around it. I want to tell you how and why. How can we repent? Why would we repent? Once again, it might seem like a funny question asking that in a church, but I think it's important that we go over this. Matthew chapter 12 paints a horrible picture and, and talks about uh, sweeping out an unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit is gone out of man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also under this wicked generation. You want to know why you need to repent? You want to know why you need to truly repent and strive as a Christian to continually repent and to continually change your mind and grow closer to God? Because it's certain, it is absolutely certain that if you don't, 
one you will perish. And this is what you have to look forward to. You find yourself having repented, swept and garnished, having a clean slate, a clean and empty and perfect soul. You don't continue to repent. You don't continue to look to to God. And those evil spirits come back. They find your soul and say, this is a nice place. I think I'll set up camp right here. They bring, it says they bring other wicked spirits more wicked than the first one you dealt with. That's what happens when you don't repent. You start dealing with some, some pretty difficult issues. Even more wicked than the first. The last state of that man is worse than the first. You don't repent. Your last state is worse than the first. You continue in sin and don't repent and don't change and don't strive to be converted. The last state of you is worse than the beginning. I'll tell you why you should want to repent. John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why you should want to repent. We talk about the price that Jesus paid, the cost that Jesus paid, the death that Jesus died, Him carrying our sin. Folks, every sin must be paid for. Every sin must be paid for. And Jesus bore those. That's why you should want to repent. He gave His life so that you'd have a chance to repent. Just so you'd have the opportunity. That's why you should want to repent. 2 Corinthians says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. You want to know how to repent? Repent because Jesus died for you. Repent because of the cost that Jesus paid. Repent because it's your only chance. It's your only hope. If you want to see heaven, you will repent. The last example that we read of in the Gospels, where Jesus uses this word as something that you must do in order to go to heaven, is to be born again. Jesus answered and said unto him, speaking uh, there, excuse me, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except or unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You want to enter into the kingdom of God? You want to have a chance at heaven? You will be born again of water and of spirit. How and why can we do that? How and why would we do that, rather? I tried searching for the best example of how you're baptized throughout the Scripture, and there's certainly many that we can go to, and I landed on Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the eunuch. And as they, speaking of Philip and the eunuch, went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You want to know how you're baptized? We preach a full submersion baptism here because of examples like these that we find throughout the Scriptures. I'm talking obviously a physical way that you're baptized. Both Philip and the eunuch went down. They saw this, this pond there. And they go and 
he baptized the eunuch. That's how you're baptized. Now, why would we want to be baptized, and how spiritually does this work? In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would you want to be baptized? To put away, to put away sin for the remission of sin. And how are we do that? Or why would we do that? Because baptism is what saves us. Baptism is what brings us towards God. Acts chapter 11 said, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. When you're baptized, it has nothing to do with getting wet. It says there in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not a bath. It's not a physical uh, uncleanness that you need to put away. It's a spiritual uncleanness. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Ghost. It's the operation of Jesus and the Holy Ghost that takes away and saves you from sin. Reading back the verse we just read, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the reason to be for the remission of sins. You want to be baptized because you need to be forgiven of sins. You need the remission of your sins. Finally this morning... I'd like to read John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That's how and that's why, all wrapped up into one. Given the power to become the Son of God through baptism, which were born not of blood. It's not a physical uh, nature of being born. It's a spiritual way of being born. You want to be baptized for the remission of sins, and you want to be baptized this morning because uh, it's not the will of the flesh and it's not the will of man, but it's God's will. It's God's desire. And it is the moment at which God looks down and recognizes His child. It is the moment at which God looks down and it changes. And He goes from seeing a sinner destitute to seeing a saved and seeing His Son instead. That's why you want to be baptized. As we prepare for the invitation this morning, I want you to think for just a moment about the judgment that we will all go through. About that judgment day. <clears throat> I want you to think about these seven things that we've talked about this morning. Seven things that you must do in order to go to heaven. There's no way around them. There's seven things that we must do. They're not difficult. Some of them can be challenging at times. These are things that we can all do. Dare I say, these are all things we can take care of today that we can fix in our lives today. Imagine standing there on judgment day in front of God and Him saying, you didn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You cannot enter in. You exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees. I appreciate that, but you, were never, you never humbled yourself. You cannot enter in. 
You exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees. You were converted as a child and humbled yourself unto me. But you didn't remember me on the first day of the week. You cannot enter in. You have no life in you. You exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees. You were converted as children. You were drawn by God. You remembered me on the first day of the week and you you bore no fruit. You did not abide in me. You have no life in you and you cannot enter in. You exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. You were drawn by God. You heard heard Jesus' words. You followed after Him the best you could. You were converted as as a little child. You remembered me on the first day of the week and you you would abide in me. However, you never repented and you were never baptized. And therefore, you cannot enter in. You have no life in you. 